Deuteronomy. It's the beginning of a series that we're going to be doing. Deuteronomy chapter 1, 26 to 46. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us up out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for, your, for you in Egypt, before your very eyes, and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord, Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give your forefathers, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he has set he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me and said, You shall not enter it either. But your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken, taken captive, your children, who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn round and set towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, Tell them, do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up to the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You, you came back and wept before the Lord. But he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Here ends the reading. Morning, everyone. Happy to see you. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, Lord, for... The wonderful privilege of being able to look at your word. We ask that you would help us to understand it, help us to know it, help us to be taught by it, help us to learn from it, help us to be encouraged, strengthened, 
helped, corrected, changed. And in your way, we put ourselves, please lead us and keep me from error, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this, as uh, Caleb said, this is the first in a series. We're doing Deuteronomy, which uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, when you come to the reading Deuteronomy, you're faced with an interesting problem. It feels like it's happening again. If you've read the first four books of the Bible, and this one together is called the Pentateuch, which is a big word that ministers like to use a lot to uh, show they learnt something at theological college. This looks like it's doing something again, and that comes a bit from its name, Deuteronomy, which sort of means, pretty much does mean, second law. We did the law, now we're doing it again. It's a little bit misleading, and uh, the titles of books are usually uh, pretty much so not inspired. For instance, the Hebrew, uh, traditionally, this book is called These Are the Words. That's what the word means for its title. And so uh, Deuteronomy is a little bit misleading because it means second law. This is not the second law. Instead, Moses is about to die. They are going into the promised land, and Moses wants to, chapter 1, verse 5, if you look at that, chapter 1, verse 5, Moses wants to expound this law. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I haven't run up to anyone recently and said, hello, I'd like to expound to you what you're doing, but uh, what does expound mean? You may not know. It means explain, explain. That's what's happening. It's our first point. This is an explanation of what has gone on. Moses is not giving the law a second time. Rather, uh, he is explaining to a new generation, a new audience, what has gone before them. Law is a negative word, I think. Is that right? As soon as the Department of, uh, was it Department of something and justice? Did you, there used to be community and justice. There used to be family and community and so on. As soon as they, they found out, as soon as they changed their name to put the word justice in it, then people actually were slightly afraid of them. They were negative towards them. And we can't help but hear the law as a negative term. Law is the English equi uh, equivalent of the Hebrew word Torah, as you've probably heard. The Torah is not negative. Torah is a positive word in the Hebrew tradition, and that's how we're meant to hear it. It's instruction. That's what the word means. It's not prohibition, which is how we seem to hear the word law, rather it is instruction, a positive thing. Moses is instructing the people, this new audience, this new generation, as they're going into the promised land. Why are they new, you say? What has happened? Forty years in the desert, the wanderings, because... 
Why did that happen? They refused to go in the land. They disobeyed. They rebelled. And so, as God said, you shall not enter. This has happened. And so right at the end of the Pentateuch, the fifth book, this is a new generation. When you come to the Bible, it's important to know where you're, what you're reading, where it comes in, shall we say, the story of the Bible. Out the front there, have you ever been in that hall there? Oh, there it is. That's in the hall. Have you seen that in the hall? I asked Caleb to do that and you did it. <laughs> That's interesting because anything you ask me to do, I don't do. But Caleb's not like me. Now, you see that God's wonderful world, where does that occur? Something like Genesis? And so does sin separated. Look, I've even got a red dot. How am I doing that? <laughs> Abraham's third promise. So when you get to King David here, the fourth box, Deuteronomy has happened before that box. It's in here, in that gap. I love this. This is good. <laughs> And so that's where we are in the story. When you read the Bible, when you know where it fits in the story, so to speak, you then can work out what you shouldn't in bring in to when you're looking at what does this mean and then how do I apply it. First know what this means. Don't start thinking about King David. Well, don't start thinking about the exile. And don't start thinking about the return from the exile. Don't start thinking about... Isaiah or Ezekiel, that's because we're down here, third in there between the third box. What is Keith talking about? Does he know? Good question. The idea is when you come to the Bible, you let it speak for itself and then you apply it. If you grab some truth that comes from somewhere else and put it in, you may miss what this text is telling you. You may even add to it, and in some cases that has been done and distorted it. What is Moses doing? If you turn to the end of chapter 30, he makes that clear. Chapter 30, verse 15 and 16. See, I have set before Thank you, Caleb, for that. Yeah, thank you. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take. It's a presentation of good and evil, of good and bad. As they're entering the promised land, the promised land is pictured as a return to the Garden of Eden. Remember that first slide when we get out of the Garden of Eden? You know, the, the second slide, actually, the second one, isn't it? When we leave Genesis, and you might remember the phrase, it was good. The Lord's plan here is for good. This whole episode 
and the promised land is pictured on how God will restore the relationship that was lost when the humans, when Adam and Eve, had to leave the garden. They left his place where he ruled and his close relationship. The Bible is always about restoring that relationship, how God will restore the relationship that he had with us, overturning sin and death. So right as we're coming in, this is how you're meant to live because this is God's place. Live this way. Strangely, Moses begins his review at Israel's departure from Mount Sinai. In 1 chapter 30, sorry, 1 verse 30, Moses mentions Egypt as something they know. And eventually in chapter 9 and chapter 10, you get to Mount Sinai. Again, in uh, chapter 11, you get the Exodus. Moses has his own order. It's a bit reversed. It's where he wants to place it. But he's reflecting on only those four books that have gone before him. Every now and then he will add extra information and he'll tell you about that, which are not in the four books. Don't believe me? Chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 9, and chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 5, there is no mention but here about Esau having the hill country as his own, having God given them. Chapter 9, I have given R to the descendants of Lot. They are the Moabites. That, again, is not before this. It's here. And then chapter 19, the Ammonites, who have descended from Lot, are also given a land. That's information given here alone. Moses is reflecting on the first four books, and that's what he's giving these new generation of people as they go into the promised land. As he does this, it's interesting for us because as he speaks, so we can hear. You might say, Keith, that's the way we're meant to read all scripture. But literally, when Moses' audiences hears, it's people who have read the first four books. So have we. So you might be. The past is not done and dusted, but the past is the beginning of the future. They must know their past so that they can go forward in the Lord. There's spies and rebellion, thirdly, uh, in chapter 19, uh, sorry, verse 19 to 38 of verse 1. And Moses does all sorts of things with the order again. He inserts in verse 9 to 18 the appointment of leaders. That actually happened before they departed in Exodus chapter 18. Then he returns to the spy story. And he retells the story even differently because in Numbers 13, the Lord is the one who commands to send the spies. But here he says the people in verse 22 
ask, let me send forth spies that they may explore the land. And it's said that the Lord approved of that plan. How do we make sense of this? It's made sense of the fact that the Lord approves of this plan, which was theirs from the beginning, because it's an accommodation. It's an accommodation of the people's lack of faith. This is confirmed in verse 25b. It is good that the Lord, the land our God is giving us, says the spies. Positive, a positive report. The land is good. How will you respond? Verse 26, you were unwilling to go up. Notice how he says you to his new audience, even though it was the generation that has gone. You were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the Lord your God. That's because verse 27 tells us what people do. They grumble. Um, when I go to presbytery, what do ministers do together, Carl? They natter and they grumble. That's right. What happens when you have a group of people and they go off? Man, they usually, we usually start grumbling. That's what's happened here. Verse 27, the Lord hates us. He brought us here to die. We can't go in there. Everyone's giant and fearsome. Moses is presenting this to them so that they will hear the problems and the mistakes that their forefathers made. They did not go, and though the spies brought back a good report, they didn't, didn't go with that report. They rebelled. Verse 31, Moses reminds the people that People rebel despite God being a caring father. In chapter 4, verse 6, Moses will say that the Torah is wisdom. And in Deuteronomy, the failure to obey God's commandments is not just evil or wrong, but is foolishness. It was foolish that they rebellion, rebelled. It was foolish that they didn't go into the promised land as God provided for them. It was foolish that they did not follow his word. Moses, fourthly, loves the term little ones, and he uses it because of the term that he associates with it, good and bad. Verse 39 the little ones that you have said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. The previous generation had one, one reason it used to justify why it didn't go into the promised land. It said that our little ones if we go in there, we'll be taken as spoils of war. They don't know good from bad, good from evil. We don't want to risk losing them. Moses now brings this up and uses it because who is this audience he's now speaking to? 
It is those little ones, those little ones, the ones that didn't know good from bad. As Moses now speaks, he is actually speaking to those so that they might know good and might do good. Forty years later, we are here. And here we go into the promised land that is pictured as the Garden of Eden, a place where God has put them and will be with them and will provide for them. And they are to seek good. But will they? They're reminded in verse 43, you rebelled against the Lord's command and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The earlier generation had decided they wouldn't go in there, but they'll go over there and fight those people. And God said, don't go. But they went. And when they went, they got smashed. These little ones, these who now stand, are reminded of their parents' Failure to obey and to make their own decisions without listening to God. He now reaches out to make sure that they themselves will hear and walk in his ways. And that's what Deuteronomy is about. He's brought them back to God's promised land to restore that relationship that they might know good and have life. What are we to make of all this? Well, we haven't said a lot, but we've said, I've said a lot, but we haven't really gone anywhere. We're setting ourselves up of how to know how to read Deuteronomy and what we're going to find in it. It is a restoration of what was lost in the garden. And, of course, we know, now we can start thinking we're applying, we know where we're going in this, don't we? It actually doesn't work where it goes. And when we go all the way through all those boxes that we had up there again, we had the boxes, like if I keep pointing, they might come. They didn't come. Look at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we go through all the boxes. We have to get to here for God to solve that problem. Where, God, where God's people will not go, will not do good, Jesus will come, the one who is good, and he will come and live and die to make sure that we will be in God's place under God's rule, enjoying his good. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're challenged here by Moses, will we hear when God speaks to us? Will we obey? Will we know his words? It's a challenge to us to know his words, to read his word, for his word is life. It instructs us, and by his spirit it changes us. God has brought us back into a relationship with himself by the Saviour Jesus. He's brought us back, overcome sin and death, and filled us with his spirit that we might live life anew. 
and do the good that God told us to do? Will we? Will we be transformed? As sanctification is ongoing, we commit ourselves to love and obedience. We commit ourselves to live God's way. We, as we hear what was said today, will we be God's people? The way we think, the way we act, the way we treat others, and the way we serve our Lord. I hope and I pray that we will. It's a challenge, isn't it? Let's pray. Gracious Father, uh, our God, thank you that you speak to us. Uh, Deuteronomy is so long ago and yet is so true today and so relevant for us. Thank you that you have brought us back into a relationship with you. This is what you've always wanted to do since humans first rebelled against you. We have rebelled against you. We still do. But we are thankful that because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. You have made us your people. You have made us good. Not by what we have done, but by what he has done. We are now your people, the sheep of your pasture. We pray that we would listen we pray that we would respond. We pray that we would speak of your truth and of your love and act in it and out of it. We pray that your spirit would renew us and strengthen us and that one day this world would be transformed and that we look forward to the time when Jesus returns and we will be with you and you will be our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.